just going to ask you to go to Proverbs chapter 1 and chapter 9. So put your finger on chapter 9, and we're going to look at two passages. Proverbs chapter 1 and 9. We are starting a new series today called Wisdom, and uh, we would like this to be a summer of wisdom. And I hope that many of you will be willing to do the quiet time devotional materials this week, I think um, this week and about maybe a, a couple more days into next week, we will be fit completing um, our devotions through the Gospel of Luke. And for those of you who, who do those uh, quiet time materials with us, I, I hope you continue to do them. Luke finishes strong, okay? It's a great ending to the Gospel of Luke. Um, but and, and, and let me just say a little something about the quiet times uh, because after, in the middle of next week, we're going to start Proverbs. So we're going to shift gears quite significantly. And we are going to go through the book, the kind of the quintessential book of wisdom in the Bible called Proverbs. And it's quite different from the Gospel of Luke. And I'm hoping that some of you would just be interested in becoming a deeper person. What does God, what does God's word have to say about being a wise person, about being a deeper and full person? That's what we're looking for this summer. And I know sometimes those of you who guys do quiet times, you, 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 you think of it a bit like almost like a religious chore. It's like, oh, it's like eating your vegetables or something like that, right? It's like, oh, I've got to eat my carrots. It's got to do a, few, a couple minutes with God, all right? Um, I, I, you know, please don't treat it that way. Please don't treat it like a chore. Um, and in, 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 our, in our churches, in our community groups, we really want you to think about it as your time to hear from God. I mean, if you don't do five days... Uh, I mean, I even—I don't even give you six days. I give you five days, okay? If you don't—if you don't do all five days, please don't show up at community group or feeling all guilty, right? If you do one day, okay, do one day and be glad that you've heard from the Lord. Go to hear from the Lord, and I hope that this summer you will hear from the Lord, and you will specifically think that all these things that Proverbs tells you is from Jesus to make you a deeper person, okay? So please think about that as you go to your. Uh, as we go through Proverbs this summer together, all right? Um, with that said, let's start our, our, our message. Proverbs chapter 1, part 1 of our message I've entitled, The Awe of the Lord. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to ask you to jump over to chapter 9. We're going to go through a sermon series, and I'm, I haven't quite decided exactly how many. I think I have it broken up roughly to nine parts, but I might... I'm, I'm, I might do 12, okay? <laughs> all right? Just give me some pastoral leeway there, all right? Um, but we'll have a summer of wisdom. And today, and we're going to go through varying portions. I'm not going to go piecemeal. We're going to go through varying themes from chapters 1 through 9. So if any of you, I'm not sure how many of you have ever read through the whole a book of Proverbs, but chapters 1 through 9 is distinct. It's distinct from the rest of the book. And it's, this course is about wisdom itself. Wisdom, what's wisdom, what's foolishness, what's folly, as, uh, as, as it says. And um, to, today's lesson is actually very basic. And if you've grown up in the church, you may have already heard this before, but it's incredibly important. And it's not just an idea, uh, just a kind of like simple idea to have in your mind. It's a fundamental way of looking at life itself. And um, so... Today we're going to read kind of what I consider to be the bookends of chapters 1 and chapters 9. This whole, these are the two key points. The Lord says it at the beginning and then he repeats it again at the, in chapter 9 because this is so important that you get this and hopefully you'll catch it, okay? So let me read it, verses 1 of chapter 1. 
This is the word of God. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That's the purpose of this book. It's quite lofty, isn't it? And sometimes the things that are wise, they do seem like riddles. They're confusing and you know, they, they, they require some unlocking. But um, that's what this book is about. And I hope it will bless you as you go through it this summer. But then here's, here's the verse that I want you to particularly get today. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's go to chapter 9. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. So if you scoff at me this summer, okay, you know, you, I'll, and, and injure me because I'm reproving you from the scripture, well, well, well the Bible just named you, okay? All right, um, but I'm expecting, I'm actually ex- expecting some abuse um, because we, we're, I, you can't say that this, in this church there's no scoffers, okay? Um, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. We need this. We need to be corrected. Verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. And that is our hope that that's what we'll be at this summer. We'll become even wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. And here we go again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's, let's, let's pray for the beginning of this, mess, uh, this series. God, our Father, who dared to send your Son to come reach us, make us wise people. Our society is deeply in need of people of character, of people of insight, of people who will help, who are flourishing as human beings and who will help our neighbors and our city to become more of a flourishing community. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would make us such a people. And today that you would plant a seed in our hearts that we would begin, even just begin, to be a people who fears you, who is in awe of you. And you would begin to place in us the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, and you would take us to Christ, who is its completion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My message will be, as usual, in three parts. Uh, part one, um, I will, I'm calling Today's Conventional Wisdom versus the Covenantal Reality of the World. I'm going to talk to you about covenant. A covenantal reality. Today's conventional wisdom versus the covenantal reality of the world. 
Part two, I am going to talk about what is universal wisdom? Wisdom which actually transcends different cultures in different times and places. Is there such a thing? And the Bible absolutely claims there is such a thing. Universal wisdom, and especially it gets at the question of character, the question of character. And the third thing I would like to talk about is something that the Bible calls the wisdom which came into the flesh. And some of you might guess who that is, okay? The wisdom, the wisdom incarnate, which has literally come into our world. Now, let's, let's talk about first um, today's conventional wisdom. Now, before I, I actually even first get into that, let me just give you a quick little intro about this book. Right says, it says this is a book from the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. Now, I'm not sure how many of you know the Bible, but um, you may have heard this, that Solomon is the son of David. He ruled Israel after David. And Solomon, when he was a young man, God gave him an incredible thing. He said, make a request and I'll give it to you. I mean, wouldn't you like God to show up and say, make a request and whatever you ask, I'll say yes. <laughs> what, would you, what would you ask for? Right? Um, some of you might ask for a billion dollars. Right? I can imagine that would be a common one up there. Some of you might ask for long life. Some of you might ask for all the really annoying and terrible people in your life to go away. <laughs> right? Those are the common things that a king would ask for. Right? Long life. All of his enemies to be gone. Power and wealth. But that is not what Solomon asked for. Solomon said, this is your people. And who can rule them? <laughs> How can this people, how can our nation and our cities and our communities flourish unless there's wisdom? And I, that's what I need. That's what I ask for. And God, not only was so pleased, God made him the wisest man on the face of the earth. That's what the Bible said. Now, that's a crazy claim, right? And our society profoundly looks for wisdom. There are, there are books that come out every season that says, this is the smart guy. This is the most brilliant professors. These are the sharpest minds of our times. And then those books come on, they get hyped, and then they become bestsellers. And you know what? They're often looking for this. We don't even use the word today. We don't use this word so much wisdom, which is exactly to me, to me, partly uh, how unwise our society actually is. Right? But um, scholars think, debate whether you know, this book was actually written by Solomon. I, I am not one to doubt that. He actually says that he, he collected some of these things, and so he went and examined and read all the crazy books, and these are some of the things that he put down. That's a remarkable thing that I want to place before you. That the wisest man on the face of the earth collected different sayings, culled them together, and then now offered them for the benefit of all human beings and all times and all places. I think that's worth reading. Okay. And so I hope that you will be willing to read and chew with us and walk with us in community as we discuss these. I, I hope you will have some really rich discussions in our community group. You're like, can you believe that that's what it said? Some of the things that he says are surprising, okay? So that's just the way to start. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, conventional wisdom, all right? And um, to the Bible, to get at this, the way I want to say it is the Bible is a thoroughly covenantal book. The Bible is an utterly covenantal book. And this book, if you get into Proverbs, and it's, this is the way it starts. 
the beginning of wisdom, how do you even start getting it? Before you even, it's not, I need to know X, Y, and Z things. I need to read a lot of books. I need to get a certain kind of degree. I need to get lots of skills. I need to put on certain kind of clothes so I'll have a certain kind of image. I mean, whatever. These are the typical things our society talks about. You can turn on TV and there's lots of different little self-help ways. There's lots of insights. You can go get different kinds of training. There are all kinds of classes. And there's always bestsellers about how to help your life. But the beginning of wisdom, according to the Bible, is something about God. It's the fear of the Lord. That is the way the Bible is saying the world is covenantal. The world is utterly covenantal. If you want to understand reality, you must have a covenantal lens of reality. Our society utterly does not know how to think like this. Okay? And let me just, I'm going to, you know, I'm, some of you are saying, what does covenantal mean? <laughs> I'm going to tell you in just a minute. All right? I'm going to give you, hopefully, which will be a helpful working definition. But before I just get into that, I want to say this. Our society is very much anti-covenantal. If we are fish, you swim in a river, and the river is filled with the anti-covenant. You're drinking the stream of anti-covenant thinking all the time. That is the way our culture thinks. You can't get away from it. And, you know, all of us are guilty of it in one way or another. I'm going to get at this in a little bit. But what is covenant thinking? Covenant thinking is this. So let me just... The covenant is to see that all of the horizontal reality, and what I mean by horizontal is anyone that's at this level in this world, okay, that's you talking to your friends, you talking to your neighbors, the culture that's just come at you, this is all horizontal. Get it? This is, it's under the sun. It's in this reality. This is horizontal. Everything that's horizontal is conditioned by that which is above the vertical. That's covenantal thinking. To look at reality, to understand he who is transcendent above all of the stuff of this time and this place and this culture, there is one above. The vertical utterly shifts, utterly shapes that which is horizontal. Our culture does not know how to think like this. Our culture incredibly goes absolutely the opposite of this. We're an increasingly atheistic culture. Don't let anybody fool you. A person says, well, you know, I'm open-minded. I'm an agnostic. I don't really know if there's a God or not, right? That's anti-covenantal thinking. If they don't think it's important to know whether there's a God or not, then you can't have any fear and awe of a God that you don't even know if it exists. That means, according to the Bible anyway, according to the wisest man on the face of the earth, you don't even have the first shred of wisdom. Let me put it bluntly. If you, don't, if you think like this, if you think it's all horizontal, I don't really have any idea if there's a vertical because that's how our culture thinks. That's anti-covenantal. And if you operate according to anti-covenantal way of looking at the world, the Bible, I mean, I mean let me not put any fine point that thinks you're an idiot. Hmm? And now let me say it this way. We're all idiots, okay? Because this is in everything in our society. And let me just give a couple ways in which this is in everything. This is the water that we drink. Uh, one way, and this is a hard way, the smart people in our society, this is the absolute bias, is that it doesn't really quite matter if there's a vertical and who that vertical is and what his will is. Then, that, long as we can live a good life, 
That's wholly horizontal thinking. And if we can examine the things in this life with all our smarts, then we can just figure out how to, wait, how to do things. And you know what that method is called today? That method is called science. <laughs> That's what it is. Now, I don't, I don't in any way want to give the wrong impression. There are way too many people who think that Christianity is anti-science. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Um, there are lots of people who think that, uh, that Christianity and science are like these two things absolutely in mortal combat. No. Science actually is from God. <laughs> Why? Because the world and all of its nature, because sci- uh, science is a systematic and logical investigation of the reality and the nature of the world itself. The world can be investigated this way because God made it actually re- uh, a certain, there's a certain logic and regularity to the world. If today, if God said, I'm just going to have one law and then tomorrow he flips it on here, you know, science would actually let it literally be impossible. If God was a tyrant who today's laws are gone tomorrow, he's like, I'm just going to make the sun operate differently tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to make gravity different tomorrow. I'm going to change those constants. Right? Uh, human, the human nature will just flip them on its ear tomorrow. T- today, everybody be nice. Tomorrow, everybody be greedy. Actually, human nature has a certain consistency to it such that we can actually have something called social science. So science is from God. All Christians should revere and love science. It's never a threat. Okay, It's never a threat. And so if you have a son or a daughter who's really into the science stuff, say, great, go out to science. You're not going to be a threat. Don't think they're not going to not believe in God. They just need some good theology. First thing you need to say, learn how to think of mentally. Because... So one of the reasons why we think this way is because of the great success of science is science thinks that we don't need the vertical. We can just examine everything according to the horizontal. And then since science has been greatly successful, we can use science to answer everything. That is nonsense. <laughs> okay? That is utter nonsense. That is a pathway to foolishness. And that is exactly one of the reasons why our society is operating the way it does. Because we revere science, but then we're starting to think that science can explain all things. And then the smart people, those are the smart people. There are wise people, but our wise people don't think covenantally. So according to the Bible, they're not wise at all. Do you realize that the conventional, brilliant people of our time, according to the Bible, are conventional idiots? That is a horrible thing to find out. But that is our, that is our time. Now, one of the, the other, there is this view that science is bad, and unfortunately, unfortunately, part of the reason why people think that science and and uh, Christianity are in mortal combat is because there are a set of Christians out there who portray it that way. And uh, let me say, uh, those are ignorant Christians. <laughs> unfortunately, they are part of our family, but they're sort of like the idiot uncles. Okay, <laughs> the idiot uncles that we're kind of afraid of, you know, that, that that will get out there and embarrass the whole family. All right? The fundamentalist Christians who think that science and Christianity, they are, they're, the, they're the embarrassing uncles, okay? And so um, don't listen to them. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's the first point I want to make. It's, it's because of the great success of science, which is actually quite great. Right? Because societies that don't have science, I mean, they do lots of crazy and terrible things. But it's not enough. Science can't tell you what's right. Science can't tell you what's wrong. They can't tell you morality. It can't talk to you about eternity. Science cannot tell you about beauty even. 
What is the good? What is the true? What is the beautiful? And these are things that human beings need if they're going to be truly wise people, right? So in that sense, there's the inadequacy. Now let me say a, a second reason why we're such an anti-covenantal society and why all the fish in this pond are drinking anti-covenantal foolishness all the time. And that's this. There is a bias there is a form of thinking and attitude in our society which I bet you almost every single person here is guilty of. Right? And that's this. There is, I mean, there, to use an analogy that I often like to use is um, if there is a song that's playing whose CD you can never turn off, it's like on repeat constantly, this is sort of like there's a thought that comes into your mind before underneath all the other thoughts. It's like the thought that you think before you even start to make decisions. And that's this. Does it work for me? I don't, I'm not sure about the God thing, but will this work for me? There's a profound pragmatism in our society. We're just interested in what works. Okay? But let me tell you something. That way of thinking is utterly foolish. It's actually very short term. Some of the things that work in the short term, you're going to think, this works. You know, Try doing that. You're going to go, oh, hey, I had, a, I, had a, I had a donut for breakfast, and it made me happy. Try doing that. That will make you happy today. It will make you happy for tomorrow. But if nobody ever told you that eating a donut day in and day out, it will make you happy, and you're, that works, you will die. But in a sense, we are that type of society. We, we do something. It works in the short term. But nobody told you that this is, will be a path to death. But actually... This summer, I will tell you from the Bible, there are some things that are a path to death. You cannot only think about what works because in that sense, that kind of pragmatism, you're assuming that you know what works. You're assuming that you already have enough wisdom and already have enough proper intuition, but you don't. We don't. That kind of pragmatism in our society, it's actually destroying us. And look around at your neighbors. We look at each other and you, you, that guy doesn't know any more than I do. This guy, and we talk to each other and we take our cues from each other. But do you notice that the, so many of the people in our society, how many people do you really know that have flourishing marriages? That have children who not only obey their parents, but willingly obey their parents. And then they actually begin to figure out what aspects of their parents they shouldn't obey. I don't know how about that. Right? Do you have, how many kids do you know can actually do that? How many people do you know who have integrity and put character above money and above status and above success? How many people do you know how to live without worry and without fear and constant confusion? So this is all part of the nasty fruit that comes out of a people that constantly only thinks about what works, what works, what works for me. It's not working. Anti-covenantalism, that's part of it. Let me go to part two of my message. Is there such a thing as wisdom which transcends all cultures, all times and places? The Bible says yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, when you read through this, and I, as, you, as, you begin, as many of you begin to go through this book throughout this summer, I hope you'll begin to start to see but this book is a, it's a strange thing. You'll begin to think that it's not so Israel-oriented. <laughs> you don't have to be a Jew to understand this. 
In fact, you could be a child and read this. Um, I'm homeschooling my son, and I want him to become a wise man. Guess what he's reading? <laughs> he's reading this. And it's very interesting. He, I, I told him to read chapters and then write out the, the verse that stands out for you. So I don't expect him to get everything because there's a lot of content in each chapter. But I said, just get one thing. If you get one thing and it really sticks with you, I, I think that's a win. That's great. But, you know, he's, he's a 12-year-old boy. You don't have to have a lot of wisdom and knowledge because this starts to apply. It's universal. But that's a really great claim. That's something that our society doesn't quite believe. Our society believes that if you're American and you're white, then you're going to do things according to the white American guy's way of doing it. Or maybe you're going to do things according to the, the Asian American person's way of doing it. But if you're Chinese, you're going to, you only have the Chinese perspective. Or, or, or if you're... If you're um, Mexican, you're going to only have the Mexican perspective. Or let's go this way. Let's go according to time. If you're a 19th century American, you're going to only have the 19th century white guy, American guy's way of doing it. That's the only wisdom that we are only trapped into only what we know of our time. And if that is the case, then you can only be a product of your culture. You can only drink the Kool-Aid that you're offered. That's it. Okay? But the Bible absolutely disagrees. No way. There is such a thing as a wisdom above times and above cultures indeed can critique those cultures. You are not trapped in only the things and the biases of our time. And then you go listen to another set of people and goes, actually, there is a way of a wisdom that you can listen to the American voice and go, no, I don't think that's right. And then you can go listen to the Korean voice or the Chinese voice and go, wait a second, that's right and that's wrong. That you can sift it. You can actually begin to chew on it and begin to pick and see, this is right, this is right. I can agree with this. I can disagree with this. Hmm? Now, some of you are thinking like, wow, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a kind of one of those Jesus, Christian, Western Christian kind of bias. Some people even think of that. That's a Western Christian bias, isn't it? Right? And so, you know, it, it, so we'll just fluff that whole thing off into a kind of white guy's bias. And in order to argue against you, I want to um, share with you a few passages from this book, which I've been reading. I decided as a portion of my preparations for this sermon series to read this book. Um, it is called The Analects, and it's written by a rather famous person, by a guy named Confucius. Ah. Now, some of you may think Confucius is some guy who gets quoted on a fortune cookie. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, that is how he has become famous. Um, by the thing that you throw away after you go to, you know, Chinese restaurants, all right? By the way, fortune cookies were invented by American Chinese people, so they're not Chinese, okay? <laughs> and so the way they talk about Confucius is like, it's, it's a crazy, okay? But um, let me tell you a little something about Confucius. Confucius, this book is more than 2,000 years old. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to read Confucius is because I wanted to understand my Asianness a little better, I wanted to be able to sift what is from my Asian heritage, which I can receive, which agrees with biblical wisdom, and which parts are wrong. And I would say, oh, well, we can have to chuck those parts, right? I actually wanted to do that a little better. And then that will help me to be able to look at my other, uh, on the, the, Korea, the leaders on the Korean ministry side, and I can say, hey, what you're doing is Confucius there. That's not biblical. They're going to go, what? <laughs> they might not be too happy when I tell them some of those things, Okay. Um, but um, so then I can have a little clarity. Now, I've read about, it's not a long work, 
And if, if you're curious, I, I would encourage you to read it. It is actually quite worth reading. There are, the book is broken up into 30 books. Okay, he calls it 30 books. And actually, it's very interesting. The 30 books of Confucius Analects actually come off like Proverbs. That he has all these little chunks, these little, these little points, not unlike the book of Proverbs. And, you know, you, if, you, if point number five makes sense to you and point number seven, eight, nine don't, who cares? You know, five was good, right? And so Analects is like this. But um, there's two points from Analex that, I, I, uh, that's come, that are absolutely crystal clear. And I've only read eight out of the 30 books, but I think this is absolutely a running theme. It's, it's clear. It's so important to Confucius. Two of the points are, one, wisdom is not about, you know, clever little steps that can give you advantage in life. In fact, the man that seeks profit and he places ahead of his integrity and his character, he absolutely thinks he's a stupid man. <laughs> Confucius despises that man. Every now and then, this, it's really interesting, it's just like the stuff that we do today. He has, Confucius, in this sense, was not unlike Jesus. He had a sense of wisdom which was for everybody. And he had disciples. And he had these conversations. And some of the, the Proverbs or one of the disciples would ask Confucius, well, what do you think about this particular uh, duke or this particular prince or this particular ruler it's not like today we were talking about what do you think about this senator or this candidate and then confucius would give his opinion and he would assess him not according to party he would assess him according to what he considered a wisdom and whenever there was a politician that sought power ahead of character he says that guy's not wise that guy has no business being a, a somebody we follow, right? Character is one of the absolute fundamental points from Confucius. Character is at the core of wisdom. A second point that he repeats is there is something that he calls the way. There is, there is what some of the things that we, that we uh, and I'm going to talk about this next week, we think that all insights are relativistic. All standards are relativistic, but he doesn't. He thinks there's a standard which he calls the way, which has been translated the way. I think the, the, in the Chinese, the word is the Tao, the T-A-O, the Tao. There is a Tao which by which every person, man, woman, and child at any time can be judged. Now, let me just give you a, a, just a, a little taste of him, all right? This is book four, and um, he's quite wide-ranging in his opinions, but let me just give you a, a, just a little sense. The master, that's Confucius, the master said, of neighborhoods, benevolence is the most beautiful. That's interesting. Of neighborhoods, benevolence is the most beautiful. Not any particular look. He didn't say San Jose is better than, you know, Gilroy. <laughs> he doesn't say it's better to live in the Bay Area than it is to live in Central Valley. The neighborhood that is the most beautiful is benevolence. That's where you should live. That's how he talks. Interesting. Isn't that how he talks? How can the man be considered wise who, when he has the choice, does not settle in, does not actually live in benevolence? That's how he talks. And benevolence is a sort of a kind of catch-all word for goodness of heart, to seek that which flourishes in your neighbor. That's what he means. 
Do you choose? There should be something in you which seeks and longs for that which flourishes in your neighbor. That's benevolence. That's what you should seek and have in you all the time. And if you don't have that, how can that person be wise? Let's say other stuff. The master said, one who is not benevolent cannot remain long in straitened, in other words, bad circumstances, nor can he remain long in easy circumstances. It's interesting. It's not something you'd read in a fortune cookie. It's a lot better than a fortune cookie, isn't it? If you actually have benevolence, at some point your circumstances will turn and you'll come out of it. But also you'll never be able to stay in easy circumstances, probably because there are scoffers and fools who will oppose you because there are, the world is full of fools, fools who hate wisdom. You know, it's really interesting. I've read through the whole of uh, Proverbs, and I'm reading through big chunks. There's a lot of agreement. There's a lot of agreement. And I want to say something about this. The greatest Asian civilizations, you know where they drank from the well of? This guy. <laughs> If you go to, to Asia, those who are often some of the most admirable people with integrity, they have drank from the well of this guy, from Confucius. It's that powerful. And I think it's because he really has tapped into something that really is universal wisdom. And I would say it's because he has learned to agree with God. <laughs> right? He found out the thing which is really from God, which is more than science which is more than just what is advantageous today, he tapped into that thing, he has culled it together, and he actually discipled a whole bunch of people into it. And so this idea that what Proverbs teaches, that there is a, a wisdom which is above all times and all places, and this is just Western Christianity, a Western Christian mind, that's nonsense. If it is, it's also the finest of Eastern wisdom and knowledge too. And I would say to you, that's pretty darn powerful. On the history of this planet, the greatest civilizations have drank from these wells, right? And they, guess what? They deeply agree. That's a pretty strong thing that you should seriously consider. Just a couple more things. Um, if a man sets his heart on benevolence, he will be free from evil. Wow. That's a pretty powerful claim. Hmm? Let me give you one more. Right. The master said, he has not lived in vain who dies the day he is told about the way, about the Tao. The master said, he has not lived in vain who dies the day he is told about the way. That's a pretty remarkable thing he's saying. He's saying there is a wisdom above all time called the Tao or the way. If your whole life, you didn't know anything about it, but on the day you die, that's the first day you hear about the way, you, your life has not been in vain. That's what he says. Wow. That's how greatly he reveres the way. Right? You know, I think our society, um, I would be even willing to go so far as we deeply need Jesus. But... There are sometimes I would just be even a little bit happier if people didn't who didn't believe in Jesus at least had the way. <laughs> at least a little bit of the Tao. Our society is so geared with anti-covenantal me first, how can I get advantage, that what we really meet is tons and tons of people who feel who act like they're all nice, but really they're tremendously selfish. 
They're sizing you up. Making, they're not saying, oh, I really like you because, but really they're sizing you to see if they're useful and you can help your life work out. There's so many people, they don't have the way. And I would say, I would venture to say, all those people when they're in hell one day, Confucius will say, you belong here, man. <laughs> they don't even need Jesus to tell them that. It's like, you, you're a low life. You belong here. We, so many of us, we need a lot of repentance. Right? Now, let me say this. Now, we're going to go into, I'm going to go to, go to the, thir- the last part of my message. How do you get wisdom? And I'm going to talk about something I'm going to call wisdom incarnate. How do you get wisdom? Now, one simple way you can get wisdom is first let some words come into your mind, which is not the conventional anti-covenantal foolishness. Um, I like reading a lot of the clever books of today, but I'm not confused. I read this and go, brilliant guy, very smart in his field. But man, is he dumb. He has no clue how to help us be wiser and flourish as a society. He really doesn't get it. That's really common. And, you know, um, many of you, you're going to send your kids off to college. I just want to warn you now, you're going to spend thousands of dollars (laughs) to let your children receive the anti-covenantal folly propaganda. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting. We have, we have a sister in our church. She, she grew up in the church. She heard about Jesus, and she went off to college. And then, you know, she went off to college and thought, all oh, these people were so smart. And then she came back home, and she told your parents, oh, you brainwashed me with that stuff. And I was thinking, like, oh, man, it's exactly quite the opposite, right? The brainwashing and the propaganda of our society, it flows straight out of colleges, right? So one way you can start getting wisdom is to at least just begin to imbibe some different content, that which is from the Lord. And I know that's a, that, that, that's a, sneaky, that's a sneaky plug for the pastor to say, read your Bible, <laughs> right? But, um, but that is one way you can get at it, and I hope you would do, you will seriously, I'm trying to incentivize you to do some quiet times and talk about the things that Proverbs, and I, and I promise you, you will be surprised. It says a lot of interesting things. It's practical. We're not just talking about doctrines and theologies which up in the sky. We are talking about uh, how to find real love. Proverbs talks about it. How to, avoid, uh, how to avoid getting your life wrecked by bad love decisions. That's one of the things, Proverbs. I hope that some of you are interested in that subject. Right? talks about how to avoid certain kinds of fools, how to spot them, etc. Right? So one way to do it, but what we really need is wisdom incarnate. And what do I mean by that? The real problem, the Chinese faced this. All the Jews of the Old Testament, they figured this out too. You know, Solomon can tell you what is wisdom, but that doesn't produce wise people. Right? Proverbs... You know, you can get all kinds of proverbs from a genuinely wise man. And the part that I agree with is hey, there is a universal wisdom. The part that Confucius doesn't quite get is it's covenantal. <laughs> right? That there is, it needs to come from God. That's the part he doesn't get. And that's actually a pretty big hole. Right? But really, the Chinese figured out that you can read Confucius and that doesn't make you wise. The wisdom has to come inside of us, into our flesh. That's what incarnate means, to come literally inside of us, 
into our culture, into our hearts, into our minds. Um, And how can that happen? The Chinese use this term. This is a term that predates Confucius. They called it the Tao. What is the Tao? All insight, truth, beauty, knowledge, above all times, all places, all cultures. That's the Tao. That's a pretty powerful thing you want to have, right? You know, um, other societies also had a similar concept. The Greeks. You know, the Greeks are like us. The Greeks went off into all these different cultures and they realized it's multicultural. (laughs) These guys have different views of God and these guys have different um, things that they honor and they just do their society in all kinds of different ways. And so you know what the Greeks started to realize? What we really need is the truest insights which transcend all of all times and all the cultures. That's what we really need. And the Greeks had a word for it too. You know what they called that word? They called it logos. The Hindus have a word for it too. They call it Brahma. It is the forces of the realities and when the, of all the things that hold and wake the world worth living in. That's what the Hindus call it. The Greeks, what, they, what do they mean by logos? It's a, hard, it's a very hard to translate word. Some scholars say it means rationality. They say it's logic, but it's more than that. It is the logic and rationality and the deep insights which make the world beautiful and good and true. All that holds together. See? The Greeks sought it. The Hindus sought it. The Chinese sought it. Guess what? We stupid Americans, we don't even seek it. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> I'll give you one more person's concept of it. Right? So the force that holds all things together and makes the world good and true and beautiful. If you go to George Lucas, he calls that the force. (laughs) So the the Chinese call it the Tao. The Greeks call it Logos. The Hindus call it Brahma. George Lucas calls it the force. May the force be with you. Because if the force isn't with you, then you will go down the dark side and it will all fall apart. Right? And I don't mean to make fun of it because, well, the reason George Lucas even has that idea is because he studied Eastern philosophy. That's why. Um, But you notice all these different ways of having wisdom outside of us, the truest, deepest wisdom, it's not enough. All these societies caved. But let me ask you to go to John chapter 1. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 1. I'm going to show you something. Proverbs 1 says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of Him. It means to be in awe of Him. The illustration I'd like to offer you is this. If the world is a basketball gym, when Michael Jordan walks into the gym, you would be in awe of him. If you're playing basketball in a gym and Michael Jordan walks into the gym and you don't care and you don't pay attention and you're not in awe of the greatest, greatest basketball dude that's ever been on the planet, then you're an idiot. Why would you play basketball when Michael Jordan is in the gym and not pay attention to him, right? 
right now this is the NBA Finals. <laughs> I, I, I just thought I used a basketball analogy. Right now the, 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 the guy who may be the new Michael Jordan is LeBron James. It's crazy. I'm watching the NBA Finals now. He's supposed to have two other stars on his team, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. But those guys are not playing like stars. They're playing sort of like average good NBA players. So literally, there's this guy named LeBron. He is sort of like the Dow of basketball. He's basketball Jesus, sort of, right? And he is literally carrying his team to the championship. That's how, how good he is. It's crazy. And if you watch basketball and you are not in awe of LeBron James, then you don't know basketball. But if the world is a gym, you must be in awe of the Tao, of the Logos. But that is from God. But let me tell you, how do you get that awe? How do you get the awe of the Lord? It's right here, John chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, let me read it to you the way it says in the Greek. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Did you hear it? Now, drop down to verse 14. And the Logos became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is that? That's Jesus. You know, the Greeks, the Greeks were very skeptical people, just like us. You know, they go meet different cultures and size these cultures up, and they're like, they're idiots about this, this, and that. They would size them up according to their own, own knowledge base. But the Greeks were like us too. They wanted brilliant people. The Greeks were interested in knowledge. The Greeks were interested in science. We're very much a, a, a Greek-following type society. But they understood there must be a knowledge, a logos, above all time and all places. But this simple Jewish man who was a fisherman wrote this book. And he wrote one of the most radical things ever written. The Logos came into the flesh, and his name is Jesus. Right? And when the Greeks read this, when the Greeks heard this, they were like, they were shocked. Right? And we need to be shocked all over again. Wisdom is not just knowing bits and little pieces. Let me tell you something. When you go through your quiet times, if you read through Proverbs, there's going to be things in there. There's going to be things in there that's going to make you feel, oh, it's going to hurt you. It's going to make you feel judged. And, you know, sometimes when we feel like, do this and don't be this, sometimes the Proverbs will be just a whole, this is foolish, this is stupid, be like this, don't be like this. But what I want you to think instead is you need to receive these words. But the only way it will deeply come into you is if you understand it's, this is Jesus. It's coming from Jesus. And the only way you can receive it is if you understand that Jesus, wisdom incarnate, the wisdom who came into the flesh, wisdom with a capital W, he went to the cross. So all your foolishness can be nailed to that cross. All your 
Your pride can receive his wisdom. All your pride can receive his correction. And that's why it says it was a glory that was truth and grace. Because you need the grace. Only by the grace of the cross, when the wisdom comes into you by his spirit, and he comes to dwell in you, then you've got awe of him. And when you have awe of him, now you're starting on the road to wisdom and becoming a deeper, flourishing human being. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to go to your table now. It can't just be words. It needs to be a word come into the flesh, which we can literally eat. And we trust now, Lord, that you, Jesus, who is the Logos who became flesh, the wisdom above all times and places who became flesh, who became the bread of life that we can eat, that you would come into us now and make us whole. Make us repent, Lord. Help us to repent of our arrogance, of our foolishness, of all the ways that we think secular knowledge is better than covenant knowledge. May we have all of you and become wiser people. This summer in Jesus' name. Amen.